0: Well, good morning, Community Faith. I hope you are good today. It is still morning by just a couple of minutes, so officially good morning. Uh, what's up to all of our online friends? I'm so glad we get to connect this way. It's been a strong morning already so far. Um, I don't know that we've done this in a long time, and uh, they certainly don't ask for this or expect it, but I'm really thankful for the musicians that we have here at Community of Faith. Um, today was strong, it's always strong. really thankful for them. Um, Man, that first song, some of you guys were, uh, you were getting a little crazy. Some of you were like, whoa, what's happening right now? And that's okay. We were having fun. Um, Jack got a little crazy, um, broke a string on his guitar and just like played right through it. He's all good. Um, What that means is, is that If you fall asleep in my message today, then I've done a really lousy, mediocre job of communicating because uh, that music set us up with some energy. And uh, man, honestly, I don't like being mediocre at anything. It kind of drives me crazy. I want to be the best that I can be. And I know a lot of you are like me. I'm super competitive. And uh, so if there's somebody better than me at something, like I want to do whatever it takes to be better than that person, and that's a little bit unhealthy, (laughs) so um, some of you can connect with that. A lot of you connect with that, probably. Uh, That's a a drive that we all have, but I want to think about that. You know, there's a statement that I hear often. My boys have said this, they've had people tell them this, and I rebuke this from their life, but it's the statement. It's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game that matters the most, and I just got to say I disagree. It's all about winning, okay? The only person that says that is someone who always loses, all right? So they're a loser. That's a loser statement. I don't like that because I want to be the best. I want to be the best that I can be. I want to be excellent at what I do. And I think we all desire that. We're all wired for excellence. I read a couple weeks ago, um, the Greek philosopher, philosopher Aristotle said, excellence is not an act, it's a habit. Excellence is not an act, it's a habit. In other words, excellence is determined... By repeated behaviors, be, repeated patterns in our lives is what actually leads to excellence. And I want us to think about that today. I want us to talk about that today. I want to talk specifically about habits, specifically, even more than that, choosing successful habits. That's where I want our focus to be as we continue in this stronger series out of the book of Daniel, looking specifically at Daniel chapter six a story that many of you are familiar with, even if you've never been in church or haven't been in church in a long time. Maybe you remember this story from when you were a a child. Um, I've actually never taught on this story ever before until this weekend, but it's the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And just to kind of pick up, last week we talked about uh, the writing on the wall in Daniel 5 where... Uh, Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall. Daniel's brought in to interpret that. And he says, hey, listen, Belshazzar, your time is up. This is wake up moment for Belshazzar, but also a wake up moment for us. We talked about wasted time. And I think today is a great piggyback on that. As uh, Belshazzar ultimately loses his life, the Persians and the Medes take over. They, they uh, take over power and control of Babylon. And that's where we pick up today. In Daniel chapter six, starting in verse one, look what it says. It says, it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. Satraps are government leaders, think mayors, think um, governors, leaders in a political governing system. That's what that's what these people are. That's the most I know about them. I'm not a real smart guy, but I can figure that out. It says that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them were three commissioners. So they've split these satraps up in groups of 40 and there's three commissioners. One is in charge of all of 40 different satraps of whom Daniel was one. So here's Daniel showing up on the scene again. It is the book of Daniel. That these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Look at verse three. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. We're gonna talk about that today. An extraordinary spirit You know, what's interesting is that Daniel shows up throughout the book of Daniel with this extraordinary spirit. If you go back and you start reading it again, you look back at Daniel 1 and 2 and 3, all the way through it, he's distinguishing himself. There's something about him that seems to elevate opportunities in his life, seems to give him a voice for influence, even in a pagan kingdom, in a system of government, that it's not one that he completely agrees with. with. He's finding himself in a place for influence, and it says, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So Daniel, once again, right out of the gate, this is a new kingdom, a new king, a new emperor, a new leader, and immediately he recognizes that Daniel has got something special about his life. There's something unique. There's something significant. Now, it's important for us to understand how old Daniel is in this story. Daniel is believed to be somewhere between 80 and 90 years old in this part of the book of Daniel. All right, so we'll just go right in the middle say he's 85 years old. And at 85 years old, God is using him in extraordinary ways. He has this extraordinary spirit. And I say that to some of you because I know that the way that our culture thinks is we get to a certain point in our life where we just kind of retire. Maybe our opportunities for impact and influence have kind of passed us by. But I wanna say this to whoever needs to hear it this morning, no matter what your age is, as long as you have air in your lungs, breath to breathe, there is still a plan and a purpose for your life on this planet. But you get to choose what that is. You get to choose that. That's what we're talking about. No matter what your age is, it's interesting. It's remarkable to me that Daniel continues to show up on the scene with this distinguishing life, a life that sets him apart, that gives him incredible opportunities. It's described as an extraordinary spirit, this idea of excellence. Daniel is living a life of excellence. And as a result, he continues to be elevated and given more and more opportunity. Harriet Beecher Stowe says this, to be really great in little things, to be truly noble and heroic in the inspired details of everyday life is a virtue so rare to be worthy of canonization. In other words, find someone who is awesome at the small things in life and consider them a saint. That's what she's saying. Someone who's paying attention to the little things, doing the small things in order to experience this extraordinary spirit. You see, genuine success is never accidental. Every now and then I'll play golf and I enjoy playing golf, but I don't do it very often. But when I do play, there's usually one or two good shots in the entire round, all right? So I'm not a great golfer. I just don't do it enough. But every time I play, I hear this statement. And some of you have said this and have had this said to you, Wes, it's not about how good you are. No, it's actually, I, I, mess, I totally messed it up. It's, Wes, I'd rather be lucky than good. Have anybody ever heard that? I'd rather be lucky than good. Well, that's great for the game of golf, but in the game of life, that's a terrible rule to live by. Because there's so much that we can be intentional and not just try to live on luck. Daniel does this. We've seen this over and over and over through the book of Daniel. And I think even in this passage, we see him setting himself apart with excellence. He's rising to the top because he's doing everything that's expected of him. Even in a pagan culture, even though the king is someone that doesn't believe the same things that Daniel believes, Daniel is doing what he's supposed to do. He's not dishonoring God. He's not compromising the faith that he has chosen to live by, but he's living a life of excellence. And I think this is a moment for us to just pause and stop because I think it's real easy to get into a place where we wanna cross our arms and um, dig our heels into the sand and just begin to think, you know what? I'm just gonna wait this out. I'm just gonna bide my time because I don't know that I agree with the company that I work for. I don't really know that I like the boss that I work for, but I think what this passage shows us is that you can be a person of faith even in a place where not everybody agrees with your faith and still excel in meeting the expectations and performing a job that you've been hired to perform in. I believe that Jesus followers should be the most excellent employees as well as the most excellent employers. The best bosses should be bosses who trust Jesus with their life. I think we see this in Daniel's life. It's distinguished him. There's discipline in his life. I heard it said like this, that discipline is any act in your life that will make the future version of you say thank you one day. Discipline is any act in your life that's gonna make the future version of you say thank you one day. You see this discipline in Daniel's life. We've seen it over decades. And now we are on the scene. Power is changing. There's a new kingdom in place. Daniel has been elevated and already there's opposition coming against Daniel. Look what it says in verse four. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. inasmuch as much as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Isn't it interesting that the satraps are setting a trap? Dad jokes for the win today. Just trying to make sure you're still with me. It's interesting, as Daniel is beginning to find more opportunity, opposition begins to grow against him. You see this in the news, you see this on television, Anytime time we have an election, this is the reason I'll never be a politician. Because if you begin to run for office, there's gonna be a group of people who oppose you and oppose the things that you stand for, and they're gonna go dig up anything they could possibly find to ruin your reputation. That's what's going on in this scene. These guys are looking for something, some sort of corruption, somewhere where Daniel failed and they're not finding anything. They can't find anything to accuse Daniel of. Envy is hostile. You see this, they're trying to attack him. They're trying to take him out. I think it's important for us to understand this today. As if you are a person of faith, you are a person who has decided to trust Jesus with your life, then you need to understand that the prince of darkness is working behind the scenes through other people sometimes to take you out, raising up opposition against you. There is a spiritual kingdom of Babylon that is working, a spiritual force of darkness working to take you out. And the moment that God begins to show up in your life, the moment that God begins to do something miraculous in your life, that opposition is just gonna continue to grow. I don't think it's necessary for you to freak out when there's opposition in your life as a Jesus follower. Instead, I think there's great reason to freak out if you call yourself a Jesus follower and never face any opposition. I think it's important to realize that if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to your God, then you're not ready to be used by your God. Daniel was being used. He was being set up for an influence and an impact, and people are working against him. They are opposing what he's doing. Daniel is different. He is strong. He is courageous. Look how the story continues on. Then these men said, We will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. What if that was true about us? This is an unbelievable statement. These guys are like, man, we have dug. I mean, they've gone full TMZ on Daniel. I mean, they've got hidden camera crews following him around. They have bugged his room. They are doing everything they can to find some dirt on Daniel and they find nothing. I mean, this is Dan the man is living right, okay? This is, this is what's going on. They can't find anything and say, oh, well, we're gonna have to figure out something with him in regard to the way that he loves, serves, prays, has a relationship with his God. Verse six says, then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. They've come up with a plan. And they're like, man, we got to go to the king. We gotta help the, we, we've got to help the king understand what's going on. We got to take Daniel out. So they're like, hey, Darius, listen, um, hang on a second. Darius, have you been working out because you're, you're looking a little swole. I mean, swole house, like get yourself a new t-shirt. That medium is looking a little snug on you today. What, what kind of protein are you taking? What kind of work? Like, tell us your secret. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to butter Darius up. And then it continues on. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together. I'm not sure that that's even true. It says they've all consulted, but I wonder if it was just a small group but they're telling King Darius something that's not actually true because Darius has surrounded himself with people who are not willing to be honest and trustworthy. So as they've consulted together, that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man besides you, O king, O king Darius, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. You see what they're doing, they're scheming. They can't find anything on Daniel. So they're like, well, we've got to come up with a plan. And so they come up with this plan. They go to Darius and say, hey, Darius, listen. It's important that everybody in the kingdom, all the way through your governing system and everybody around, understand that they don't need anyone else other than you. You are ultimate, Darius. Oh, King Darius, King Spolehouse, you are the man. Nobody needs to go pray to another God, nobody needs to go seek counsel from another king, you are everything. So let's set up a law, Darius, that if anyone consults with another God, prays to another God, consults another king, then they get thrown in the lion's den for 30 days. So there's this system of accountability that the king was protected from his impulsiveness from, with, and so once he made this decree, it couldn't be changed. So for 30 days, this was going to be the law. Verse eight says, Now, king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may, be, may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. This can't be changed. So they're coming to a, a governing decision, a, governing, a government law. Therefore, king Darius, sign the document. That is the injunction. So here they are. The plan is working. Now, this will be a challenging time for us In our day and time, if this was the law that was put into place, that you were not allowed to pray to your heavenly father for risk that you might be thrown in a lion's den, that would be overwhelming. That would be confusing. That would be discouraging. It would be an opportunity to respond. And I wonder how we would respond when this law is passed, but we can see how Daniel responds. Look at verse 10. This is the money verse in the story. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where he was from. It's where he had been kidnapped from when he was a teenager decades before. So he's doing what he's done for a long time. We see that then it says, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying, giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. It's important to realize that. It says, as he had been doing previously. For how long? Well, he's 85 years old. He was kidnapped when he was 13, 14 years old. So we can just assume that he started this discipline. He started this habit sometime even before that. So let's just say he started the habit when he was 10 years old. For 70 to 75 years, Daniel has been consistently living in this discipline in his life praying, kneeling before God in prayer three times a day. This is a significant habit. This is how Daniel cultivated the relationship that he had with God. Listen, if you don't decide what steps you're going to take to know God more, then I'm afraid that you'll never know God at all. Think of it like a relationship between a husband and a wife, I think about it in the the idea of intimacy, not just physical intimacy, but the relationship, an intimate relationship to know someone and be fully known by somebody. Now, I remember the first time that I saw my wife. We were in a parking lot in front of a large church in College Station, Texas, about to get on a charter bus to go skiing in Colorado. And I saw her and I said, wow, she's fine. And I wanna know her. This is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice. I mean, I was like, I want to know that girl. I was immediately drawn to her. I was immediately attracted to her. She sat behind me on the bus. I heard her laugh. I heard her talk. And I was like, man, there's something special about her. So I got to know her. And the more I got to know her, the more I thought, wow, she's, she really is amazing. And I decided I wanted to spend my life with her. And then we got married in 2006. And on our, our wedding day, I said, wow, you're amazing. It was, it was a wow moment. We've been married 15 years. And you know, there's continually wow moments for me when I think about my wife, when I have uh, time with her, when I spend time with her, when we interact with other people, when we spend time with our kids. There's these moments where I just sit back and I say, wow, you're amazing. You see, I think sometimes we struggle in marriage because we go get married on the day of our wedding and we think, wow, this is amazing. You commit to each other, you have all of each other but we don't choose to continually know one another, to continually experience those wow moments, to sit back and watch my wife have a conversation with my kids and and begin to navigate a conversation with them when they're struggling that I'm not capable of doing. She has a gift. And when I see that, I think, wow, she's amazing. I think the same thing happens in the relationship we have with God. Daniel has cultivated this relationship. There's these wow moments with him and God, these moments where he prays and he gives thanks. He thanks God for who he is and he thanks God for what he's done. All through his life, there's this pattern, this excellent pattern that's created this extraordinary spirit in him that it distinguishes him from other people. And the same thing is available to you and I. But he made a consistent habit to know God, to continually get to know God, to have Relationship with them Benjamin Franklin said this. Benjamin Franklin knows a thing or two. He says, "Your net worth in life is determined by what's remaining after your bad habits are subtracted from your good habits." In other words, think about all of your good habits, the things that you put in place in your life, and you're like, okay, this is something that helps me be successful. And then take everything in your life that you would consider a habit or a tendency, something that you're like, man, I'm not sure that's really good or bad. I just, it is in my life though. Subtract that and you have the worth of your life. Now that begins to break down in Christianity because Jesus proves our worth and our value. But when you think about the life that you're living and the life that other people see in you, what would that look like as you begin to subtract the bad habits? Where do they weigh? Where do they measure? I was reading this week that forty percent of your actions are not conscious conscious decisions, but habits. Forty percent of your life—it's not a conscious decision that you're making. You don't live through life having to decide how to do every single thing that you do. Forty percent—that's almost half. So half of your time. In life, half of your life is made up of decisions and patterns and behavior that you're not even considering in the moment. Your body was designed this way. I've talked about this before. There's the basal ganglia that's part of your brain that as you continue to repeat certain patterns and behaviors, your brain memorizes that and your life begins to flow through that so that you don't have to think about every single little thing that you do. And it allows you to operate at a higher capacity in life. When we fail to pay attention to those patterns, to those habits, they're developing whether you're paying attention or not. And I think as we look at this story, we consider the habits in our lives. Are we choosing successful habits or are habits just choosing to be successful in our life with no regard from us? I've read a couple of books recently in the last few months that I, I went back to for some of this message. And one of them is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. It might be a a good read for you. The second one is The Power of Habit, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And he talks about this idea, keystone habits. And this is intriguing for me. And I think this is what we see in the life of Daniel. We see a keystone habit in Daniel's life. Here's what a keystone habit is. A keystone habit is a habit that starts a process that over time transforms everything. Keystone habits are habits that start a process that over time transforms everything. The habits that matter most are the ones that when they start to shift, they begin to dislodge and remake other patterns. So think about the patterns in your life. Think about the habits. Are there habits in your life that influence other behaviors in your life? For me, I love to wake up early. I am a creature of habit. My mornings have a rhythm. They have a routine. I get up and I do everything in a specific way throughout the day. One of the things I do every single morning is I make my bed. My dad raised me to do that. It was something that uh, we just did. It was, it was an expectation in our house. And so I've maintained that as an adult. And there's something about it for me that's uh, fulfilling, that's life-giving, because every single day I know that I've accomplished at least one thing. I made my bed. Well, here's what's interesting. As I was reading The Power of Habit, I discovered that there's more to just making a bed that actually impacts the rest of our lives. This is done by research. This was discovered that making your bed every morning is correlated to better productivity, a greater sense of well-being, and stronger skills at sticking to a budget. So everybody who makes their bed, high five yourself. Great job, you're winning, okay? You're doing something right. That's a keystone habit. You see, it's transforming other things. You're like, it's just making the bed. And you're like, I've never made the bed in my life. Just saying. Don't shoot the messenger. Here's another keystone habit. Think about this, family dinners. The idea of sitting down as a family and having dinner together. Studies have documented that families who habitually eat dinner together seem to raise their children with better homework skills, higher grades, greater emotional control, and more confidence. There's something significant to pay attention there. That's a keystone habit. It's transforming other things in life, choosing to consistently, with discipline, participate in something so that one day the future version of you will say thank you. That's what a keystone habit is. Let me give you a couple more. Exercise. I heard a couple of groans, like, oh, you had to go there, Wes. People who habitually exercise have a tendency to eat healthier, smoke less, are more productive at work, show more patience with colleagues and family. So next time someone in your house is rude or impatient with you, just look at them and say, go give me some push-ups. You're grumpy, all right? There's, there's a correlation. It says that they also feel less stress. I've got to use two hands for this one and use credit cards less frequently. That's a keystone habit. We see in the life of Daniel, a keystone habit. One of the reasons I wake up early in the morning is because I feel like I'm the most productive in the first three or four hours of the day. So I do my most intense work, my most creative work, the most deep thought provoking work I take care of in the morning. I wait to check my email. I wait to respond to text messages. I wait to do some of the uh, more busy work that I have to do. And I, I focus my best time on the most important things that I do. That's a keystone habit for me because it sets me up for a better day. I feel better about the day. I feel better about what I have to do the rest of the day when I focused that time in the morning. I like to take naps. Anybody like to take naps in the room today? Okay, anybody taking a nap right now? A couple weeks ago, I did see a guy sitting over here and like he was full baby bird, like out. And I was like, man, I really got to do better. Did you know, I read this this week and this is encouraging me to me. And so I'm going to change the rhythm in my life that Winston Churchill during the peak of World War II was notorious for taking a nap every single day. I mean, Germany is trying to take over the world and this dude is leading an army in a world war and the fella is taking a nap. You know why I did it? It was a keystone habit for him because he was always fresher and more alert after he had just woken up. So we would take a quick power nap. So you can bet that this guy is taking some power naps in the days ahead, but it's a keystone habit. Daniel had this keystone habit every single day, prayer and thanks. Three times a day, Daniel spent intentional time interacting with his God practicing his faith, thanking God for who he is, thanking God for what he's done, praying and asking God to work in the situations that are going on in his life. What would a habit like that look like for you? What would it look like for you to just carve out some time? And maybe for you, like three times a day, Wes, there's no way, let's just start once. One time a day, this week, every day, set a timer, set a reminder to sit down and to thank God for who he is and for what he's doing in your life, and you're like, Wes, I don't know that I have a lot to be thankful for. Just sit down and think about all the things that are good. There are things that are good in your life. You live in the United States of America. where one of the most um, rich nations in the world. Everyone in this room and watching online has more money than most people in the world. That's something to be thankful for. What would it look like to carve out the space? What would it look like to, to literally get down on your knees in your living room, in your bedroom, and just, just begin to pray. I do this sometimes. And this is kind of awkward and uncomfortable even right now. But when my boys are at school and my wife's at work and I'm in the house by myself, there are times where I get overwhelmed in the moment and I just, I just got to stop and I got to pray and say, God, I don't know what's going on. And I don't get there. It's not like a perfect precious moments, like statue figurine. Oftentimes there's an ottoman at the chair in of my office and I'll just throw myself in that ottoman. And I'm just like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your goodness, but right now in this moment, I don't know, and I need your peace. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need you in this moment. I mean, there's times where I literally, and I didn't do this for. There's times I literally lay down on the floor, face down. I'm doing this so you don't feel weird when you do it tomorrow. And I just lay there, and I'm like, God, I don't, I, I don't even know. I'm overwhelmed. You feel the tension. It's awkward. So you know what? In that moment, even there in that moment for me, there's vulnerability there. There's humility there. And if you don't believe me, try it. Just try it this week. There's something about being vulnerable and humble and displaying that in that moment. I think God gets our attention in a different way. What would that look like for you? Did to begin disciplining yourself to make that a keystone habit in your life. Take it another step further. This is something I've done for years and I'm so thankful that somebody encouraged this discipline in my own life, but I journal a lot. I write down my prayers. There's something about seeing my prayers, actually seen, like being able to see them come alive. And oftentimes I'll go back months later and I'll see some of the prayers that I prayed and I see the answer to prayers and it just begins to grow my gratitude. Great people are people full of gratitude. What if that became a keystone habit for you? Try something new this week, because when you try something new, you're not gonna have it all figured out right away, and it's gonna naturally develop humility in your life. And you'll be distinguished. It'll begin to cultivate this extraordinary spirit in your life. So Daniel, in this moment where his life is on the line, what does he do? He prays. And so the guys, the commissioners, they've been watching him. They've been tracking him. They've been working surveillance on the guy. So they bust in his house and full SWAT team and they're posting it on their Instagram stories. Look at this guy. Daniel's been praying. Just like we said he wasn't supposed to do, he is gonna have to go to the lion's den. They go back and they're like, King Darius, sorry to interrupt your workout, but just need you to know, man, we're really disappointed to tell you. Our good friend, we just were really sad to see it, but our good friend Daniel he broke the law. And because he broke the law, you're going to have to throw him into the lions den. So look at verse 16. Then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lions den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, "Your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you." You see this? Darius realizes that he's been tricked, but he's forced to do what he said he had he would do when this law was signed but you can sense the remorse, you can sense the, 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 the grief. He's like, man, I, there's something special about you. And I believe that your God is going to protect you. And so he takes him and he throws him into the lion's den, which by the way, I know some of you are annoyed by my constant bagging on cats, but can we just recognize something for a minute? This is the most powerful man in the entire kingdom who has the ability to create any method of torture and death that he could possibly create. And what is his preferred method? Throwing you into a den full of hungry kittens. Listen, I don't even have to make jokes about this. This is the inspired word of God. We just need to take a minute and pray and repent. of our, I'm just kidding. We sang a song a little while ago talking about Jesus being the roaring lion. So there you go. You know, I'm, I'm gonna throw the cat... Lovers a bone there as well, but do you see what's happening in this moment? Darius is overwhelmed, throws him into the lion's den, and then he goes home. The commissioners go; they begin to celebrate, they party, they they're, they're having a great time because they think, man, it's worked. Our plan was successful. Darius is overwhelmed with grief. He says that he's distressed, says that he begins to fast, he begins to push aside anything that would entertain himself. So he takes his PlayStation, he turns it off. He takes his social media and he he disconnects from all the social media platforms. He's just overwhelmed in the moment all through the night. You know who slept good through the night? Daniel. Daniel had a peace in the middle of this chaos. Darius wakes up or gets up the next morning and he runs to the lion's den and he moves the stone that had been put in front of the entrance and he looks down in there and he goes, Danny, are you okay? Are you okay? Say you're okay, Danny. You've been hit. <laughs> I went Prince last week. I thought I'd go Michael Jackson today. <laughs> he's, over, he's like, oh, I just, I just, I, I want, D- Daniel, are you okay? And Daniel's like, yeah, man, I'm good. He's just hanging out with the lion's. Aslan's like licking his face. He's like, Aslan, stop it. Leo, chill. Like, hang on. He's like, hey, listen, if I need to stay down here a little bit longer while you guys get things sorted out up there, I'm good, man. I, I, Daniel's in a place of peace where he was supposed to be dead. So Darius is furious. He recognizes something extraordinary about Daniel. Daniel. And he takes the commissioners and the satraps who set up this deceptive plan, and he throws them into the lion's den as he takes Daniel out. And it says that the lions devoured them and crushed their bones before they even hit the floor. These were hungry lions, yet they didn't touch Daniel. This is an extraordinary story. But look what happens in verse 25. This is my favorite verse of the story. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language, who are living in all the land. So the king, okay, listen, the king of this land is about to declare to all of these people something incredibly important for us today. He says, may your peace abound. Why? Well, if we had time, we would go read. He basically gives a little mini sermon and he begins to talk about the goodness of God about the protection of God, the peace of God. He begins to declare how great God is. Do you see what's happened in the story? We started with a prohibition on prayer. Prayer has been outlawed. Any communication with this God is not okay. And it ends with a pagan king declaring God's goodness and protection for all people. This is unbelievable. I think there's something important for us to recognize in this story. How did Daniel learn these things? He began to put things into practice ahead of time. He began to do things on purpose before things got crazy. Listen, we live in a time today where there's really no time for spiritual Jesus-following weaklings. There's no time in our culture today for a bunch of people who want to sit and be bold posting their statements and their opinions, on a social media platform, but failing to spend any time interacting and cultivating intimacy with their Heavenly Father. We live in a time where it's not enough to, to occasionally be a part of a faith community, but then live the rest of our life as if none of it really even matters. Because even in that, we're cultivating habits. And so what would it look like to begin to cultivate habits like Daniel did? Here's what I think it looks like for us. Here's the lesson that I think we can learn from Daniel's life in this passage, that peace under pressure comes from consistency when it's peaceful. Peace under pressure comes from consistency when it's peaceful. What an incredible story. What an incredible opportunity for us to maybe get it right today. Maybe things aren't crazy and your life's not being threatened right now in this moment, but that's maybe the perfect moment for you to step in and begin to develop some keystone habits in your life. How do you know that you're gonna have the courage to stand when it feels like you can't stand? How do you know that you're gonna have the peace in your life that's bigger than the peace you can cultivate for yourself when everything in your life begins to fall apart? How do you know that you're gonna have the courage to confront a close friend when your close friend desperately need you to confront them? What are you going to do when you need the courage to take the step that God's calling you to take that's going involve, to involve some sacrifice in your life? What you're going to do is what you're going to do today that's going to prepare you for that moment when it shows up. Because peace under pressure comes from consistency when it's peaceful. You know, I think the biggest mistake that we can make today is that we would look at the life of Daniel and we would think, man, I just want to be like Daniel. But the reality is is that Daniel eventually lost his life, but the story of Daniel is pointing us to the story of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. There's a lot of similarities. Both were seen as innocent. We don't read about anything that Daniel did that was wrong. Jesus was perfect, never even had a wrong motive. They were both declared innocent by a primary judge, Darius for Daniel, Pilate for Jesus, They were both thrown into a cave, into a hole in the ground and a a stone was rolled over that, but they both walked out of that alive. But Daniel would eventually still lose his life. But Jesus would walk out of that tomb and he would come back to life even though he lost his life. And he did that for us. Psalm 22 describes Jesus on the cross, that he was thrown to the lions of judgment, which circled him, taunted him, then tore him apart. Jesus being innocent was still killed. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He took on what you and I deserved. There's something powerful there when we begin to see that. I read this week, Sally Lloyd-Jones says this, Jesus was left in the blackness, utterly alone and abandoned by God suffering the fate that we, the guilty ones, deserved. God did not shut the mouths of Jesus' lions like he did Daniel's. He let them tear him apart. His body was left entombed in the ice grip of death for three days before the angel finally came to roll away his stone. Jesus chose this for us. That's what she's saying. Jesus intentionally went after this for you and me. That's where he and Daniel are different. She continues on. She says, when Daniel came forth from the lion's den, he came out alone. And no one else was saved by God's deliverance of him. But when Jesus came forth from the tomb, he came out as the head of a mighty company of people who have been redeemed from the pit through his death. Because of the work of Christ on behalf of his people, the divine judge says, not guilty, you may go free. I thank God for the life and the example of Daniel. But I worship Jesus for what he did for me. I remember Jesus because of what's available to me, because of what he did on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. In Christ alone, I find my strength. I find my hope. I find my peace. That's what we just sang about. I know a lot of us are in a place of maybe exhaustion, fatigue, tired, disappointed, maybe even discouraged. And I'll close with this. But think about this for a second. I've got this bag, and in this bag, I've got a million dollars. A million dollars is a lot of money. A million dollars would buy you three or four two-by-fours today. It used to buy you a mansion. Today, it might buy you a modest home. It might even buy you a used car. I've got a million dollars in this bag, and uh, I'm going to... Sir, right here on the front row, Astros hat, you don't have to get up, but I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna point to you for a second. Um, I don't know this gentleman's name, but just kind of watching him a little bit earlier while we were in worship and singing, I was just watching him, and you know, I, I, would, I would assume, I'm making an assumption here, which is dangerous, we all know that, I'm gonna assume that this is a decent man, this is a good guy, that this is a guy who uh, respects women, who probably holds doors for ladies, um, is honoring to those that are older than him, but when I say there's a million dollars in here, and if I made the invitation that whoever gets up from their seat and gets on this stage first, gets that million dollars, I don't care how respectful or honoring he is, he's probably gonna get up from his seat and run up here and get this bag. And then this gentleman right here, I'm not gonna make any assumptions on age, but I'm just gonna take a guess that you might be just a little bit older than he is, just a little bit. But when you find out there's a million dollars in this bag, You're thinking, I got to get that million dollars. So you're going to get up. And right as you begin to get up, he's going to see you. And he's going to swipe the leg. And he's going to trip you. And your (laughs) momentum's going to take you down. And you're going to try to push yourself back up. And you're going to think, well, this guy, he seems like a nice guy. He's probably going to help me up. He's going to pick me up off the ground. No, he's going to put his foot right in the middle of your back and push you back down as he's on his way up here to get this million dollars. And then this lady right over here, She's thinking, well, while they're doing their thing, I'm going to sneak up and I'm going to run and get this money and he's going to see you and he's going to kick you in the head and he's going to knock you down. And I know that's confusing because you're like, but he's probably a respectful, honoring guy. He, he respects women and you're going to try to get up and just like he did over here, he's going to just step right back down on you and get up here and he's going to get this money. Why? Because he understands What's in the bag? Why would a man so kind and respectful and honoring and chivalrous act in such a way? Because there's something life-changing in the bag. So I propose this consideration for us today. What would it look like to understand what's available to us as we begin to adjust our habits, to do whatever it takes to experience the peace and the hope and the strength that's available to us from our Heavenly Father? What would that look like? What would it look like to take all apathy and any lethargic feelings and just dismiss those and push those to the side? I think what would happen is, as we begin to do whatever it takes to be intentional about how we're spending our time and shaping our habits and cultivating the patterns in our lives for greater intimacy with our Heavenly Father, we begin to experience a different kind of peace, a different kind of focus. We begin to live in and experience our God-given purpose. We begin to live out the potential that he designed us for. The things that we begin to cultivate in our private life begin to show up in our public life. The things that you begin to pay attention to in your own time begins to cultivate a life that other people begin to pay attention to. So what would it look like for us to do whatever it takes to choose successful habits, to trust Jesus, to follow him, to pray to him, to thank him, to worship him, to go all in, to step across that line of faith and begin to shape our habits around the life that he's called us to live? What would that look like? Here's what I know is true. Choose your habits, change your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our time today. I thank you for the story of Daniel. I thank you how it uh, shows us something different, something unique, something extraordinary. And I'm thankful that it points us to Jesus and that in Jesus, we realize that we have access to that, that we have opportunity for that same life, a distinguished life, an extraordinary spirit. And so right now, I pray that you would cultivate that in us. I pray for a lot of wisdom. I pray that you would give us discernment with what we've heard today to take some specific steps to cultivate these habits in our lives, to carve out the time to spend with you. And as we spend that time with you, would you give us moments to just say, wow, God, you are so much more than I ever even knew. Give us the courage and the boldness when things aren't as peaceful, to stand for you. And that as we stand, would you continue to give us peace, even when there's no peace around us? Gotta pray that what's happened here today and what we've heard today would not stay here, but it would go out, and it would impact every single area of every single life that's here today and that's listening online. We trust you for that. We ask confidently from you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.